Let Lita take you on a journey of faith, life, travel, and interior design. Take your life out of the status quo and into 2020. Status Life with Lita is brought to you by Status Home Design and by the Law Office of Derek M. Hayes at 404-777-HURT. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Status Life with Lita on Business Radio X. We are broadcasting live again, finally, We're from here. the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio in the Sinesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel. On every episode of Status Life with Lita, we take you on a journey of faith, life, travel, and interior design. We want to take your life out of the status quo and into 2020. My name is Derek Hayes, and it's my pleasure to introduce the star of the show, Lita Brooks. Good afternoon, Lita. Hello. Good afternoon. Boy, it's great to be back here across the table from each other. I like this better, but I'm not sure how our producer feels about us being here. Well, that's all right. <laughs> He's doing the so-so hand gesture at me. He's just happy to have us in here. I, I know. know. He said that earlier. Whether he meant it or not, I don't know. But. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be him in the background. Yeah, yeah. Well, before we begin, a quick reminder that Status Life with Lita is brought to you by Status Home Design, your one-stop shop for all your home and gift needs and by the law office of Derek M. Hayes. Injured in Georgia, make the right call to the law office of Derek M. Hayes at 404-777-HURT. Well, let's get started. On All today's right. show, we're going to talk about a lot of things, and I want to dive headfirst right into this, but I do want to follow up on uh, the last show. Uh, unfortunately, we know you came down with corona. We did an entire show about that, your struggle with it and getting through it. So I want to know how you're feeling today. Tell us about what your current status is from the corona recovery. So I'm a, almost, tomorrow will be 30 days from when I first started showing. And I got tested on that very first day uh, after calling the coronavirus urgent care hotline. They were fantastic, by the way. And they sent me, got the test. So let's say 30 days later, I am a hundred percent. Thankfully, um, I feel like I deserve a big applause on that. But because it was such a grueling recovery, it was not. Uh, there, it, there is, it is. There it is. <laughs> He's We're a done. little bit slow today. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So again, it was a even at the 14-day mark when you know we're on a 14-day quarantine. So you think, all right. Um, I get my results back on day 11, which in my opinion was way too long, but I knew I had it. I knew how sick I was. Day 14, no, 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 no. Even at day 21, I was still suffering. Not as bad, but it had a really strong hold on my chest. And I can remember even one night, Derek, having a conversation with you, and I just ran out of wind. And I just, I was mid-sentence, and I, I just looked at you and said, I'm done. And and the 7.30 at night, hit the couch and never moved. I remember that vividly. In fact, your test was on March 23rd, a Monday. Mm -hmm. And it was the following Wednesday that your daughter called me oh. when I was at work around noon, just saying, Mom's having a very difficult time right now. And your struggle was long. Uh, I was there. I played many games of Clue, of Sorry, yep. of whatever game we could get our oh. hands on, and put puzzles together but it was great to see you get through this and not have to go to the hospital like so many people have well and I appreciate it I've told you a million times thank you but talking about that let's focus on that I'm sick I'm mom I have two small children at home there's no one there to care for them and and that's where you had to step in but that's in thinking about 
that with everyone's situation. I have a friend that I've met through this process. She's about 10 days ahead of me with Corona. She was a police, is a police officer, and she's not better. She's mm-hmm. on now day 40 and still very, very, very sick. She has twins that she has not seen in almost 40 days because her children were quarantined away from her. So these are situations we're all feeling, um, going through. It's really difficult. Not only the, the physical aspects of the virus, the anxiety that it <laughs> brings and, and not yeah. being able to breathe and coughing and you cannot lay down. The doctor said, do not lay flat. Keep your lungs elevated. Do not go to sleep if you're short of breath. I mean, these are terrifying things. And yet all my body wanted to do was sleep and I'm terrified to sleep. So, um, it you know. Well, with all that being said, it kind of just makes a direct uh, transition into our next topic. And that is Governor Kemp and mm-hmm. opening up the state on Monday and the announcements that were made. I know this Friday things are going to be opening and on Monday some other things open. It's kind of a, a staged approach to getting the state back to regular business. So let's talk a little bit about that. What do you feel or what are your thoughts about Kemp opening the state back up for business? You being a retail store owner, an interior design company owner, and things that you've already mentioned. And having gone through Corona. Yeah, of all people, you're best situated to talk about it. Well... It hits on many different levels. All right. I am a small business owner. Uh, The frustrating part is the government assistance. I've applied for every single loan, SBA, everything under the sun, and nothing has come our way. So that's really challenging. Um, Even the personal stimulus money, I've not seen anything. So my business has been closed since mid-March. Um, you know, doing our best to keep it afloat with some online sales, but it's not the same numbers when the retail store is open. So I can speak from a small business owner, absolutely. Do I need my business open? Yes. But I also went through Corona, and you just heard a little snippet of how bad it was. So I feel like it's too soon. I think that we, if you look at the graph and you see the numbers going up, 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 that was March, and when everyone was getting sick, and all of a sudden... Uh, it starts dropping because of the shelter in place, right? The numbers are dropping because we're staying inside and we're not exposing it. So as of Friday, when salons, restaurants are able to open, I understand that they're putting things in place, but take some real specific examples. If I'm going to see my stylist and I'm her first appointment that morning um, and I have it and I'm asymptomatic, so I've now exposed her, well, maybe she's asymptomatic, And the next girl that comes in at 10 and the next girl that comes in at 12, she is now exposing every single person that sits in that chair. And now that person, asymptomatic or not, is going home to expose their family. It's going to run rampant. It has to. There's no other way. Think about a waitress or a waiter. The restaurants are opening. So you have a family of two, three, six. One person has it, even if they're not showing symptoms. They're serving food, and they're serving food to an entire restaurant, the waitstaff, the kitchen, the manager. It's, I don't think it's time. Having had it, taking 25 days of recovery. That's the day I felt better, day 25. Right, I remember. And I'm one, of those, I'm one of those asymptomatic people. Yes. I'm one of those that never showed a sing- single symptom, any sign whatsoever of having corona, but being around you 24 hours a day, for many of those days and clearly being exposed directly to it, you're, the doctor told you that 80% of people that get corona never show a sign. 
Right. But those 80% that get it that don't show a sign can very easily transmit it to others and have and will continue to, unfortunately. You could have given it to me. Well, I, well, we I don't nev- want to take the blame. But I, you know, <laughs> right, you're it right. could have happened at status. I was at work and exchanging money, taking a credit. And, and we had masks on. We mm-hmm. were being protective. And yet I come down with it. Exactly. So it's it's a i i know it's a tough call i know the governor is under tremendous pressure and i know the small businesses want to open again i can sit in that pocket with you i am a small business owner but i can also sit in on the other side and and make the other side of the argument i'm spending six hours a day on digital learning i've got two kids three hours per kid uh if my business opens back up schools are not opening so now what well, that's now, another point you know, I was going to bring up, and you, you went right into sorry. it. I was going to ask you, no, that's okay. It's, <laughs> it's great conversation, and that is that schools, you know, if, if other businesses can open, well, the answer or the question then is why can't schools? As the parent of a senior in high school, I hate that he's missing out on all those things. You have a child about to trans- transition mm-hmm. to middle school. He's missing out on that last year of elementary school. So uh, the reality is, though, that if parents have to go back to work because the state's opening back up, well, where are the kids going to go? Right. There is nowhere. So it's And now they still have to be accountable for their schoolwork. Right. Exactly. And you can't rely on an elementary school kid, a middle, middle school kid, or for that matter, a high school kid to sit around and know full well they're going to do the work they're expected to do. Not every kid's going to take the, the initiative and sit down and do it. So you do have to monitor that, help them. You know, they have a teacher in a classroom to, to explain things. Well, they need mom or dad there to explain right. things. My children do. Yeah. I, there's, I mean, I, we reviewing homework last night. I mean, absolutely. They, yes, it is digital learning, but when they are little, it, you know, I have a fifth grader, so I consider that still little. I have to sit with him. I have to go through every assignment, make sure he even clicks the turn in. But he may do it, but he may not turn it in. Right. You right. know, it's just these little things. It's done, things but it's that sitting there and not been submitted. And so uh, having this discussion, I uh, was having it with someone this morning, and they said, well, what about this summer? What do you do in the summer if your business is open and you have to work? Well, there's camps. Right. There's vacation but, Bible school. I just got a text as we were going live uh, that the VBS has already been canceled. I was going to say, that, that's it. And so have many of the summer camps. All canceled. There are lots of parents that, that I know, friends, that have have uh, uh, traditionally sent their kids to summer camps during the, the months of the summer, but now can't because right. those are closed. Well, let, let's go to the next part of this, and that is your store. Mm-hmm. Um, most of your employees have kids, and so they're going to have to deal with that, daycare or someone to watch their kids. But uh, what what I'm trying to think of the best way to ask this, what safety measures, I guess, are you looking to, to have to take as far as opening your store back up? Some of this is going to be mandated by the government, uh, as they did for the salons. Good and point. they're going to yep. say, you know, how a certain amount of people can come in the store at each time. You know, status home design is 12,000 square feet. And we have all different vendor booths and an interior design portion and a classroom. So do I think we'll be having classes? No. That's going to put a significant amount of people in one area so i don't think until this is really gone that the classes will open up yes can i sanitize the front counter can the vendors come in and wipe down their booths every day sure i mean that's all i want to say common sense things but those are all things that we will do without being told to do right uh how many people we are mandated to let in the store eat at a certain time i don't know that that's going to have to come from Higher. And one thing I want to point out real quick, um, I saw your video on Instagram yesterday. I know your seamstress, your um, upholsterer seamstress, oh, yeah. is also making masks. That's a great thing. They look incredible. The, the masks. She, yeah, she's got really nice, high quality masks. Uh, you can find these online. Just go to Status Home Design, the website. 
You can go to my Facebook. I mean, you know, I'm answering all social media channels right now. She is charging for the masks. And honest, you know, there are people out there doing masks for free. And I wish we could do this. But honestly, she's a small business owner. And 100% of this is going to her. Um, for the supplies, I'm she's sure. She's the breadwinner for her family. You know, she just, this, and, and they're inexpensive. It's one mask for $8, two masks for $14. Really, really nice. She I was going to say they have um, a pocket. They do. Like. They have a filter, so you can put a paper mask inside, or you can put paper towels as your filter. You can wash these. Um, so, yes, if you do need masks, you can buy them through me, and we are doing curbside pickup, or I will ship them to you. Or if you spend $25 or more through any status purchase, you get a free mask. Oh, that's So, great. yes, you can go to thestatusmarket.com, again, or go to my social media channels where we're putting daily videos of merchandise. Uh, 25 or more gets you a free mask. But I've had a lot, even since the video went out, I've had a lot of people message, when can I buy, when can I buy, when can I buy? So I'm going to do curbside pickup tomorrow, and I think I'm going to be busy. Yeah, I, I bet you will I think it's going to be a very busy almost like a mcdonald's drive-through everybody's picking up their masks yeah and i can speak to those masks they're they're really nice they're they really great. are they're, they're uh, probably the most protective you'll find mm -hmm. uh, the way they're designed and with a pocket area too all right one other thing too you and i went to home depot over the weekend and we had to stand in line before we could get in the store yeah so with that being said i expect you're gonna have to bring on additional employees to be able to not only man the store but also safety precautions outside regulating how many go in and how many are in the store at, at one time so what are you thinking about that? <laughs> I can see me out there with a stop sign. Stop, stop. There's <laughs> a clicker there's seven like an people in inside. Oh, yes. I just, uh, yeah, we're going to do what the government tells us we need to do, right? I, I've got a, amazing staff that helps me run status. Uh, my sales team is amazing. Am I going to have to double staff because I need somebody monitoring the door? Maybe, maybe. I mean, status, you know, on a, on a, normal day you know it's just the flow of traffic we're not walmart we're not Coles. Right. you know you don't have 20 people coming in all at once you know you have a mother and a daughter and then 10 minutes later you have best friends and you know and then you have somebody who just needs that gift i mean it's a really nice flow a, a husband and wife weekends are all about the couples and the families so saturdays sundays yes that's going to have to be monitored but we don't I can't see me having to staff and monitor that unless yeah. unless everybody's just so ready to get out. We just get flooded. And it could be. That could it be could it. Be. Yeah. With 12,000 square feet, though, there's a lot to see in your store. Yes. And I've been in there and obviously uh, you can spend 10 minutes and see one aisle or you can spend an hour and a half and finally see the entire store. It's that big and that nice. It's mm -hmm. great. All right. Let's transition to something else here. We've talked a lot about Corona, but I want to talk about one other thing. One of my favorite things about you personally is your willingness to do anything to help anyone at any time. And I can sincerely say that about you. That also speaks volume about you and your character and, and really your big heart. Um, we're coming up on a three year or just past rather a three year anniversary of your kidney donation to your dad. Yeah. And that, again, speaks volumes. That's absolutely incredible. Well, thank you. You're and I want to talk about loading my ego here a little bit. Well, but that's it you. should. It no, really should. It, it's, it's great. But so April was three years that I was able to I was a match and I was able to give my dad one of my kidneys. Well, let's talk about the decision that went into that. OK. Tell us about your decision making process to, again, donate a kidney. There was no decision. The decision was. I, I say this all the time anyone would do it i mean people have said oh you're the you did this for your dad it's amazing 
I think, but I, I just, I think anyone would, for, especially for a loved one. And we have a fabulous guest who is going to come on in just a few minutes. Her story is so compelling, and she gave her kidney to a complete stranger. So there, you know, that is willingness beyond. So we're talking about my decision and what made me want to do it with my dad. So when it was discussed that my dad could possibly go on the registry, go on the wait list to get a kidney, and I just knew, I just had this overwhelming sense in that moment, before he was even on the registry, you know, they have to be, they, any donor, I'm sorry, recipient, has to be evaluated. It's an extremely long process. Um, and he was on dialysis, and so again it's just the knowing I was just overcome with I'm gonna give him a kidney it's gonna be me I'm doing it and he goes through the process and he gets put on the registry and Emory which is the hospital that we used Emory transplant center they send a letter and it's anyone that would like to be considered for donation you start with an online questionnaire and I started filling it out and other family members were coming forward and, and willing to go through the process and just to see if they were also a match. And I remember telling everyone, it's me, it's me. You don't, you don't even need to be tested. This is a waste of everyone else's time because I'm gonna do this. Didn't even know if I was a match. Right. And, but I, it's, it's, it just sat with me with 100% certainty. Um, you know, whether I, I love to use my faith and, and whether this was God, just it's you, it's you. But I, I just had this knowing about the decision. I almost can't, I can't explain it better than just that. Just an overwhelming feeling. That's it. It was me. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the, the actual process of, okay. of donating. Um, so when you get to the hospital, you're checked in, you do the don donation. Um, talk about your immediate, I want to say pain, and I'm sure it was, but also the recovery there while you're still in the hospital after the after the procedure. Okay. I want to focus just you as a donor. Let's talk about that. Okay, sure. Let me go back and say that, again, I, I talk about the process of the recipient being put on the list, being a long evaluation. It is equally as long for the donor. You go through three different phases of being able to be considered you go through all the blood tests and the urine tests and all these different things that you have to do and then if you pass that then they have what's called evaluation day and the person that is the strongest match as a living donor spends the entire day from seven to seven and I brought work I brought my laptop you know it's hurry up and wait I thought I was going right. to be sitting around all day nice every moment I was there was a different doctor and poked and prodded and tested okay so you get through evaluation day and then you wait for surgery day so that is hurry up and wait you know you're when when your loved one is on dialysis you just want to hurry up and do the surgery there's a lot of anxiety um, what's it gonna be like how much pain am I gonna be in so I did speak to some other donors during that time to try to find out what can I expect and, and that was very beneficial so in saying that I took my story and wrote a blog post. Um, it is on Status Life with Lita. If anybody would like to see and talk a little bit, it goes more in depth to the testing process and what I went through. Um, so I get to the hospital and they do the surgery. And I thought this was really interesting. The morning of, they didn't let me spend a lot of time with my family. And I think it's emotional. And they don't want you full of emotion. They don't want a ton of tears. They're getting ready to do a major surgery on your body. They don't want you to feel really stressed and have those tears before they're getting ready to put you they under. They want you at full strength. They, I felt like they were rushing me. You know, mm -hmm. I, I had some really nice moments. I was able to spend a little bit of time with my dad and my mom. Um, but when it was time to go, I, I was like, wait, 
I just want to pause. Hold on. You know, it's like hold. And, and I, they put me out. They did. And yeah. I asked that. Why didn't why didn't I get that moment? And they said, absolutely not. Because you'll start crying. And and we didn't want you to turn back. You know, they didn't say it like that. But I, I thought that was really interesting and something very unexpected, you know. Um, but OK. You, sorry, you were about to ask no, me something. No, that's OK. That's OK. I just want to make sure that we continue to, to talk a little bit more about your recovery okay. afterwards. So you got out of the hospital. What was the um, so the, the surgery was on a Thursday morning. I was able to go home on Sunday. And one thing that I did for me, uh, I still think it was a really smart decision. My children were smaller. I mean, three years ago, now they're only eight and 11. So three years ago, I didn't want them to see me that incapacitated. I knew I wasn't going to be able to move around. So I made the decision to recover with my dad, my my recipient. So we flew my aunt down from Michigan. And so my mom was able to, I put in quotes, nurse and, and be there for my dad around the clock. And my aunt was able to be there for me. And the food chains were coming, you know, every, there were meal plans and food was coming every night. And that was wonderful. So it, that helped. So, I, but it was very peaceful. There was not little children. You know, right. I could rest, I could sleep, I could take four hour naps. I could sleep 12 hours at night. I mean, that's what your body needs when you're recovering from something like that. And as a donor, you were willing to go through every bit of this. And that, again, speaks volume about volumes about you. 100%. Not about me, but that I did it. I mean, I, I just have this, like, wouldn't you do it if, if it meant giving your loved one more time and a better quality of life? Yes. I, I understand completely. I absolutely do. Let's talk uh, one final thing about this and your current issues. Uh, are there still any current conditions, problems, uh, limitations, I guess you would say? Mm, not, nothing severe. No, nothing, nothing that I can't live with. The only thing that bothers me is I get more tired. I get more fatigued than I used to. Um, I don't know where that comes from. I've asked my doctor about that and, you know, he, I don't know. I mean, everybody's different. Everybody recovers different, but I just, I'm three years out. I feel like my energy never has come back like it was before you know before the surgery i've always been a workaholic i like put the kids to bed grab my laptop work till midnight i don't have that in me anymore mm -hmm. when they go to bed i go to bed too i i am i need my sleep i need seven eight hours and and i get somebody you'd almost think i'm drunk i get so tired especially at work and i do all these events and and I can have nothing to drink, and yet I kind of slur my words. But it just, it's almost like my... It's fatigue. It's, it's absolute fatigue. fatigue. There you go. And, and you can tell, like, I'm, I'm tired. I'm, I'm not even sure. making sense. And I want to make sure we, again, stress that we're talking solely about the donor side of things here. And as a donor, all those things that you went through. Yeah. Uh, and that's, again... That's the only lasting. Every, I'm good. I'm, I mean, I am good. I am healthy. Um, I don't know if being a donor played into me getting corona. Uh, the nurse, my corona nurse, had, had made mention of that, that it had probably had something to do. She made mention that I'm immune suppressed because I am a donor and that, again, I got it and you didn't, and I have one right. kidney and you have two, so I don't know. And you're stealing my thunder again. What? That's the transition. What are you That's what we will talk about next. <laughs> let's, let's discuss some of these statistics regarding corona and donors. Okay. Uh, I know there are a lot that you've got, but just give us a few of those bullet points. Well, how is corona affecting? Yeah, I know, again, it's, it's I learned a lot from you in our conversation before the show started. Uh, but yeah, give us some of those statistics about corona specifically and affecting uh, donors, organ donors. Well, 
it's not good. Let's put it that way. Um, you know, Corona has put all of us on a shelter in place. And what struck me the most is many, and I've probably got the number right here in front of me, but many, many transplant recipients, I mean, they die waiting for their organs. Many of them don't have a living donor. Uh, either they couldn't find a match or, or no one was willing. And so they're waiting for a cadaver. Well, right now, every, you know, we're on a shelter in place. So there's a significant less car accidents. And so there's that many less organs, right? And so right. all these people that were waiting. So as of now, the number is 113,000 people are waiting for an organ, okay? And 95,000 on the wait list, or, oh, 95,000 are waiting for a kidney. So 113 total 95,000 waiting for a kidney. So clearly by a long shot, kidney donations are, are the most needed area of, of organ donors. Yes. And here's a number on 2019, they had 39,819 transplants. Now that was living and cadavers. Okay, so living and deceased. Wow. So that was 35%. So only 35% of people that needed a donation, an organ don don donation, only 35% really receive it, or received it during last year. And that's year. 2019, without wow. corona. So you're going to see so even 30. Even yeah. So the numbers are slim anyways. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it's less than 10%. You know, right. yeah. So this was also really interesting. Um, something I didn't know, but talking about the ventilators. You know, we're hearing all about the ventilators on the news. And if... It's unfortunate, but if there is a car accident and someone is deceased and they are an organ donor, it is a ventilator that keeps the body alive and the organs alive to go into a transplant surgery and to give to a recipient. Well, right now there's a shortage of ventilators. So even if they could find a cadaver, then they have the battle of getting a ventilator to keep all these organs alive and doing a surgery in an ICU where there's inundated right they're inundated with coronavirus patients and so you've got all these different really things kind of stacked against you as a trying to have a transplant surgery right now um, most most transplant organizations they are shut down right now because of corona i know the screening right now is really amped up as it has to be you know uh, mm -hmm. whether the recipient or the donor were to contract corona that's going to postpone everything postponing everything you know it really depends on the level of sickness of the recipient um, again I many die waiting right we talked you know? about the immune systems as well people that have or donors that have given an organ they're immune suppressed at this point is that what you told me yes yes and that's all organ donations yes you wow. are considered immune suppressed you have gone through a massive massive major surgery you know I say for me my body worked one way for 30, no, sorry, for, I know how old I am, 40 <laughs> years. One way, right, with two kidneys, and then all of a sudden, in one swoop, it has to learn how to completely rework. And, and there's fatigue in that, and there's a long recovery process in that, and there's probably being immune suppressed in that. And that also means that people that have considered potentially being a donor may think twice, simply because at this time, with coronavirus going around, is anybody really willing to suppress their immune system any more than it already is potentially by donating an organ? 
So yeah, do you want to go to the hospital? Do you want to put yourself at risk right now? Your family can't come and see you, right? Potentially as well. You're doing this on your own. Yeah, so all that's a lot to think about. It's a lot to think about. It's scary and it's heartbreaking, having gone through this and really knowing, you know, what it meant and and it's it's hard to hear all this and and be a part of it and know that it's really on hold in a big way right now. Well, your story is absolutely terrific, but we do have a special guest. Oh, we got to get to her. Yeah, yes, we do. Yes, I, yes. I know She's we want to make sure we, we bring her in now. And I want to give you the honor of introducing uh, our guest. Okay, Amanda, are you still with us? I am. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, everyone. This is Amanda Hayhurst coming on Status Life with Lita. Amanda and I met uh, mutual friends, and we met at a networking luncheon last year, I think. And it was such a wonderful, you know, I, I love to say it's a God thing. And we ended up, we didn't know each other. And we end up sitting side by side at this luncheon and became fast friends, had, you know, a, a transplant story in common. And, you know, the conversation really just went from there. So I'm mm-hmm. going to turn it over to you. And I want to ask you the first question about your story and your recipient. Tell me, because I believe you, she was a stranger to you. Yeah, she was. I So I did not, I did not know her. I was actually at my son's Taekwondo studio and... Um, he was testing for his black belt, and I was holding my baby, and he started crying. So I went to the side of the room just to console him, and I saw a flyer of a woman. Um, and I never, you know, usually stop to read things like that, but I, I started reading her story. And as I read, it's like my eyes could not get to the next word fast enough. I'm, I, tears were streaming down my face. I learned about this single mom who's been on dialysis for eight years. She really didn't have that much time left. I mean, most people die waiting. Um, and it's like, in that moment, I knew I was going to do this and I was going to be her donor. It's, it was definitely a moment where God prompted me and I saw it all happening. It was like a vision straight from the Lord. It was, it was really amazing. Nothing like that has, has ever happened to me in my life before. I love that. And I can sit in that moment. I know exactly how you felt and I can feel it again right now as you say it. That is absolutely amazing. So you had a flyer. So did you contact the recipient? Did you contact, uh, which hospital were you at, by the way? It was at Piedmont. Okay. So, you know, the flyers that have like little tear offs on the bottom yeah. with the numbers. So I, I tore one of the numbers off and, um, was driving home with my husband and I was, I was afraid to say out loud what I was just so convicted of moments before, but I, I told him, I thought he was going to swerve right off the road, to be honest with you. <laughs> when I told him what I was thinking, um, but I called the transplant coordinator a couple days later just to get more information. And um, I just started the process. So let's go back to what you said. When you saw this flyer, you had a baby on your hip. So how old were your children? <laughs> That's what I was picking up on. Yeah. You said a young son <laughs> yeah. testing for a black belt and you were holding your baby. Yeah. I know. I'm crazy. I had so much on my plate. Um, my baby was nine months old at the time. And my son, I believe he was he was seven or eight. I think he was eight. Yeah. Two boys. Having gone through this process, what I'm my I'm jumping ahead to is I know that it's what three months before you're allowed to pick up anything over a certain, you know, five or 10 pounds. So you were going into the surgery, knowing you couldn't even hold your baby for a certain amount of time. You're right. And he, it took him a long time to learn how to walk too, which made oh. it harder. But um, yeah, I, I had my father-in-law drive down from Indiana. He's super supportive and he helped us out. He, he would put the baby in the car for me every day and pick him up from daycare. So that was a struggle. It's something I knew going into it. But when you feel so 
convicted and right about doing something and so confident in your decision, it's like I knew that I would, God would work those things out for me. So I really wasn't as concerned about those things. So let's go back to the story. You called the coordinator from Piedmont and you got some information. Um, Connect the dots when you met your recipient. Like where in this process did she find out that someone was willing to donate and how did you really get to meet her? Well, I wanted to wait to tell her until I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I was approved and that we were a match. So I, I told her the day I got the call from Piedmont that we were a match and I wanted to wait because I had heard from her daughter who worked at the Taekwondo studio that she had actually been super close to getting a donor before, but that he died like days before. And so, I mean, just crazy. So I didn't, I didn't want to get her hopes up. So I wanted to tell her when I knew for sure. So I had her daughter arrange a meeting for us. Um, I actually followed her daughter to her house And I was sitting in her living room. You know, I'd never met this woman. I'm sitting in her living room waiting for her to get off work. She worked at Northside Hospital. And she walks in and just sees me, the stranger, you know, sitting on her couch. Um, And I stood up and introduced myself and was explaining who I was and how I had been, you know, testing to see if I could be a match for her. And before I could even say, you know, I'm a match, I'm your donor, she interrupted me and she said, she said, you're my donor and I've been expecting you. And I knew that God was going to bring me a donor before the end of the year. And she ran up to me and collapsed in my arms and we just cried and talked into the night. And it was the most amazing moment of my life. And it was right around Christmas. So it was just awesome. That is so beautiful. I have chills right now. I love it. I absolutely love that. All right. I'm going to interject here. I'm hearing a significant amount of faith in this story. Um, So there's a faith story that you share with her as well in, in this, correct? Yeah. And, you know, it's the both of us. You know, we were believers and she knew that God was going to bring um, someone in her life as a donor that year. And I knew God was calling me to do that for her. And it was just like a full circle moment for us. That's beautiful. I I love that for you. So tell me uh, when when was the surgery? Um, I know, but tell our listeners. You said... How long so it was ago? January 25th, um, last, yeah, last January 25th. So we just celebrated our one year kidney anniversary in January. Um, she took me to Papados and <laughs> we had dinner <laughs> together and celebrated. So right now, would you say that you have a really close relationship with her? Yeah, you know, she actually, actually texted me this morning um, to see how I was. Uh, we spent Christmas together. We talk all the time. She's really become like a sister to me. So we're, we're super close. Our, our kids love each other. Um, yeah, we're, we're really close. Love her to death. Oh, that's such a beautiful story. All right. So you, I'm so excited for you and I'm proud of you because you started a nonprofit, uh, kidney donor match. That's the name of it, correct? It's a website. All right. I'm Mm going to let you tell everyone listening, tell us about kidney donor match. Thank you. Yeah. So it's, it's a website, kidneydonormatch.org. And as you said earlier, there are over a hundred thousand people right now waiting on a life-saving kidney donor. And I want to put the personal story behind the number. So this website is a place for recipients to create a profile and tell their story um, and how they you know, got kidney disease or if it wasn't kidney disease, just what's leading them to need a kidney. So if you're interested in learning more about these people on the wait list, you can come to our site, learn more about living kidney donation. It's my hope people won't just be comfortable, but really excited to donate Um, and going through these profiles, reading people's stories. I feel like story 
is such an amazing way to connect us to one another and to really boost those feelings of compassion and empathy. Um, it just has a really unique ability to build connection. So that's what our site does. Um, and we launched in January, I believe it was January. Um, so now we're just trying to get more people registered as recipients and just getting people to check out our site. That's terrific. That's glad. I'm glad to hear that. And the fact that you've taken your donation story and made something even more out of it. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, that's what this entire podcast is about, is stories and connecting. So I'm going to take a link to Kidney Donor Match and put it on the Status Life with Lita. So finding this podcast, if anyone listening wants to connect the dots, use Kidney Donor Match, make a profile, read the profiles, donate, um, whatever, you know, any way that anyone feels compelled to help or be a part of this. Um, they can go to kidney, is it kidneydonormatch.com? Um, kidneydonormatch.org.org. Okay, that's right. Mm -hmm. A nonprofit is .org. So there will be, you can go to that directly or you can find it through Status Life with Lita, of course. Um, I'm going to wrap this up with, with a question to both of you. Okay. Uh, a question I know Lita's not expecting. And Amanda, you and I haven't spoken about this either. But if I'm someone who's considering making a, an organ donation to a stranger, to a family member or friend, give me one sentence or maybe a couple of sentences, words of advice that you would give me in, in making my consideration, making my decision. Amanda, I'll start with you. Uh, what would be your big advice to me as someone considering that donation? I would say this, and it's something I didn't know. Um, you really only need one. You really only need one kidney. And, but, and honest to God, I, I guess I just was naive and I didn't realize that. Um, but I think for me, anytime I realize that I have something I don't need, I, I typically would donate it, right? I mean, I have stuff laying around the house. I'm going to donate what I don't need anymore. When I felt in that moment, you know, I, I don't need this anymore and someone else needs it. And if I, and if not me, then who, I mean, clearly the people on the wait list have been waiting for a long time and they've asked their family members and they have no one else to ask. So if you have, if you're healthy and you have two healthy kidneys, honest to God, you only need one. I would definitely look into it. Um, I know that was way more than two sentences. I'm just that's really a, passionate okay. about it. <laughs> no, so I, I realized when I asked, that's kind of a loaded question. And so, yeah, I get yeah. it. I understand completely. Um, and I appreciate that. But Lita, I'll, I'll ask you the same question. I don't have two sentences. I have two words. Do it. There, no regrets. Mm. Do it. No like, regrets. Those are my two sentences. That it is something you are giving the gift of life. You are giving someone more time. You are giving someone a better quality of life. It is a small sacrifice to help someone in this big, big, big way. Very powerful. I love that. Very powerful. And I want to thank both of you uh, for what you've done. It speaks, again, volumes to both of you and your character and and the ladies that you are to have made this sacrifice for others to live. And that's incredible. Uh, so what an example you are to your kids uh, and to those that know you. And, and so, Amanda, thank you very much for joining us today. Yes, thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you all for listening. Thank you for joining us on Status Life with Lita, presented by Status Home Design and the Law Office of Derek M. Hayes. Don't forget that you can enjoy any of our episodes anytime by visiting businessradiox.com, selecting the Gwinnett Studio, and then clicking on Status Life with Lita. This program is also available on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, for Lita Brooks, I'm Derek Hayes, and you've been listening to Status Life with Lita on Business Radio X. Thank you.